This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. On this episode, I will be sharing the third and final series of audio excerpts from my upcoming audiobook. You can find the previous two episodes in the podcast listings for The Unseen. These excerpts come from my 2019 book, Hidden Experience, and that book has the rather long subtitle, Ten Years of Blogging, 2009 through 2019, A Personal Journey of Owls, Synchronicity, and UFO Contact. This book is a collection of selected blog posts, and collectively they tell the story of my attempts to come to terms with my lifetime of strange experiences. And for this episode, I have created a page on my blog, and it's linked in the show notes. Uh, This page features images from the book and also from my slideshows, uh, the ones that I use for presentations. Uh, These pictures might help the listener better understand some of the details of this multi-layered set of stories. It's hard for me to tell a visual story with only words, so I hope this helps. This first excerpt, the first thing I'm going to share here, is sort of short, and this account will play into the follow-up second, much longer segment. Okay, here goes. Please enjoy. Bright Orb and a Hooting Owl Under the Stars Monday, March 7th, 2011 Something highly unusual happened four nights ago with my pal Natasha in a very isolated part of the Utah desert. We'd spent the previous week at the International UFO Congress near Phoenix and were taking the scenic route through the desert back to my home in Idaho. Our day had been spent driving and hiking, and instead of getting a hotel room, we opted to car camp. We found a beautiful spot along the Burr Trail Road about eight miles east of the very tiny town of Boulder, Utah. We parked in a cluster of juniper bushes, about 500 feet from the asphalt road. It was just a bit after sunset when we laid our sleeping bags in the sand. Natasha had recently arrived from Germany and was still jet-lagged, so she couldn't sleep. But I had been driving all day and needed the rest. At some point in the night, she woke me and said, Mike, I can't sleep. I need to do something. And I said, I'm sorry, I need to sleep. Maybe take a walk. It's a beautiful night. The scene was perfectly lovely. It was cold, calm, and very quiet with an ocean of stars above us. She walked off, and I simply laid in my warm sleeping bag near the car. I was now alone, drifting in and out of sleep. At the same time, I was listening to the lone hooting of a great horned owl somewhere in the bushes near my head. It was so close, I couldn't understand why I didn't see it. This moment was absolutely magical. I loved it. While I was listening to the owl, Natasha had her own experience. Here is her, slightly edited, description of what happened on that lonely road. She wrote, It felt good to walk. I didn't use my headlamp. My eyes adapted to the darkness, and the light from the stars was enough. 
I enjoyed walking in the stillness. There was a dark beauty to my surroundings. But there was more. I could sense something, almost like a buzz in the air, like the air wasn't empty. There was something sparkling. It felt like I could sense energy. I have this feeling once in a while. But here, in the darkness, and in this place of pure nature, it felt like I had a heightened ability to see more than we usually do. My sensations were enhanced. I was thinking about this heightened sensation when I saw something very unusual. About 150 feet away, very close to the ground, on the right side of the road was a bright light. It was round, like an orb, and about two feet in diameter. It was so bright that my first thought was that there was somebody there with a very strong flashlight. It didn't make any sense. Then it flashed, like it exploded, and then it was gone. My mind went crazy, and I started to panic, and I turned and I ran back to Mike. I kept looking over my shoulder because it felt like I was being followed. Natasha woke me and said, Mike, we gotta leave. I could tell she was frightened. She blurted out what had just happened, and then I was scared too. We quickly threw everything into the car and left. It was about four in the morning when we started driving, and she was very animated as she described watching an orb of light gliding smoothly over the sagebrush and then her shock when it exploded in a bright flash. Later, at my house, we studied satellite images, and she saw the orb less than a quarter of a mile away from our sleeping spot. Yet she never heard the owl. This really surprised me, because the hooting was loud enough that the sound should have carried in the still desert night. Something funny occurred while typing up this post. I was writing about what happened to Natasha, and I realized it was a bit presumptuous for me to describe her direct experiences. At that exact moment, I received a detailed email where she recounted her memories. She sent it from a coffee shop in the Charles de Gaulle airport during her layover on her trip home from Idaho to Germany. And this was the quoted text I just read. Text added, March 13, 2013. This experience, with an owl and UFO, shows up between two other events that all line up in a straight line on a map. These three events all play an important role in a life-changing story. It's told later in a chapter titled, My Confirmation Event. Okay, that story, what you've just heard, shows up in the next story and it's a key part to a much larger set of events. There is a lot going on in this chapter, and it played out in real time on the blog. I was posting my feelings and realizations as they were happening. Okay, here goes. Chapter 16. The Confirmation Event. The path to knowledge is a forced one. In order to learn, we must be pushed. On the path of knowledge, we are always fighting something, avoiding something, preparing for something. And that something is always inexplicable, greater, and more powerful than us. Carlos Castaneda This story changed my life. I was writing and posting as it was unfolding trying to fit the puzzle pieces together, and also publicly processing my frenetic emotions. 
Hopefully, you'll get a sense of the intensity of what was happening. It's right there in my written words. All of it showing up in real time. This same set of experiences took 22 pages to tell in The Messengers, and there's a lot of overlap in the chapter that follows. This story is terribly important to me, and it's covered here in a way that includes most of the outlying details. Sleeping Out Under the Stars in Southern Utah Tuesday, March 12, 2013 Posted at 12.34 p.m. What I'm sharing here might be nothing, but I've made a pledge to post anything odd on this blog. So here goes. I have just returned home after two weeks away. I spent most of that time at a UFO conference near Phoenix, and on my way back home I visited friends in Sedona and Flagstaff. I have spent a lot of time driving around the West, and I love the wide-open spaces. On these road trips, I'll do anything to avoid getting a hotel room. Instead, I'll simply sleep out under the stars. This is what I did on Sunday night, March 10th. I slept alongside Utah Highway 20, just a few miles east of I-15. I pulled off onto a dirt road at about 9 p.m., and although this was a desolate spot, there was another car there. It was a Jeep, and I could see people moving around inside with flashlights. I didn't want to bother them, so I drove past them and parked at the far end of the area. I got out, walked around with my headlamp, and stretched my legs. This was a perfect place to sleep outside. The site had low, bushy junipers and a series of beaten-down roads with a few little turnouts. There was some litter and old campfire rings. Plenty of people had been here before. It was a cold Sunday night, so I wasn't really worried about anyone else pulling in. I laid my pad down in the dirt near my little Subaru, then climbed into my big winter sleeping bag. It was absolutely still, and the stars were glorious. I love lying out like this, and I eventually drifted off to sleep. At some point during the night I woke up, probably around midnight. I was on my back and calmly took in the beauty of the crystal-clear sky. This is why I love sleeping out. I looked at the ridgeline of rounded peaks to the south and saw what appeared to be a large cylinder-shaped structure perched on top of a hill. My first impression was that it was a big, round building with a row of lights situated around its circumference. Right in that moment, I wondered if this was a landed flying saucer. I mean, that's exactly what it looked like. I thought to myself, if this really is a flying saucer, I should feel something. So I laid still and stared at it for a few minutes. I tried to tap into some deep, intuitive part of myself, hoping to pick up on any alien vibrations. I'm not joking, I really tried this. There was no sense of anything odd. Everything seemed perfectly normal. After a while, I rolled over and went back to sleep. I woke up again to a pair of coyotes howling somewhere nearby, and one of them seemed extremely close. I sat up and looked around, but all I could see was sagebrush.
I've spent half my life out west, and I've slept in a lot of places just like this. And I've heard a lot of coyotes. But I had never heard one that close and that loud. It was amazing, and I felt blessed. I looked back up to the round structure on the hillside, and nothing had changed. It still looked the same, and I still had the same neutral feeling. I listened to the howling for a while, then rolled over and went back to sleep. I woke again and saw a bright light near where I was sleeping. It was on the other side of some low brushy trees. My impression was that someone had parked nearby, and I was seeing a light from a car. I sat up and tried to peer through the bushes, but the light was mostly obscured, so I moved my head from side to side in hopes of getting a better view. I couldn't see much, but it didn't seem like anything unusual. My thought was that someone had pulled in while I was asleep and parked a short distance away. I assumed they were doing the same thing I was, stopping to sleep in a quiet spot during a long drive. Yet what I saw didn't seem like headlights or a flashlight. Again, I looked up to the big round thing on the hill and saw something I hadn't noticed before. It wasn't much, just a tiny dot of light off to the left of the structure. The house I grew up in had a single light on a post out on the front lawn, and that's what it reminded me of. It seemed like someone up there had turned on the lawn light. After a while, I went back to sleep. I woke up again sometime later, and the light through the bushes was gone. Despite waking a few times, I had slept well, and although it was still dark, I decided to get up. There was still a long drive ahead, and I felt rested enough to finish the trip. I packed up my sleeping gear and drank the last sip of yesterday's cold coffee from my travel mug. I wondered about the light I had seen, and I walked around to the other side of the bushes. I thought I might find a car, but there was nothing. It was just an empty dirt road. But the way I remembered the light, it seemed like it would have been across the road and off in the sagebrush. This was an improbable place for someone to park, or even stand, but I didn't think much of it. On one level, everything seemed perfectly normal, but I was aware of an odd thought. I wondered if I might have been taken during the night, and I couldn't shake the feeling. I tossed everything into the car and started driving. I'm not sure if I looked up to see the round structure on the hill before leaving. I probably did, but I don't have any memory of seeing it before driving off. I enjoy being on the road in the early morning when the traffic is minimal. If I remember correctly, it was a little bit before 4 a.m. This was confusing because that was the night of the switchover to daylight savings time, and I hadn't yet changed the clock in my car. My flip phone might have changed automatically, so it might have been a bit before 5 a.m., but I'm not sure. This simple time mix-up added to my worries about being taken. I didn't dwell on anything about the night during the long drive north to Idaho. I got home in the afternoon and immediately got onto Google Maps to look for that big structure on the hilltop. I quickly found the exact location of my sleeping spot, but couldn't find anything on the satellite images that would match the circular building. I am very skilled with maps and feel strongly that I had pinpointed the exact location of the round structure. But there was nothing there. This thing was 1.6 miles away from where I had slept so it must have been enormous. I checked the date on the satellite imagery on Google Maps, 
and it read 9-14-2011. Perhaps the structure had been built since then and simply wasn't yet available on the map. Maybe it would show up when the satellite imagery was updated. Well, it may not have been a house. It could have been an array of cell towers or something similar arranged in a circle. It might have been a water tank, but it's unlikely at that location, and I doubt it would be lit up at night. The ring of lights around the structure weren't perfectly positioned. They were spaced at slightly irregular intervals. I did an illustration to show the round structure and the ring of bright lights. But I sensed they may have been windows, and that's why I thought it was a house. This post might be an insight into my own paranoia, or it might be something more but I am sharing it here to simply document what happened. Here's a couple of odd little extras. I had driven that stretch of Route 20 in southern Utah years before, and I remembered it pretty well. What's curious is that I knew I would be sleeping there. Even though I had never been to that turnout alongside that highway, I left Flagstaff in the morning with a clear knowing that's where I would end up. Also, earlier in the post, I mentioned there was a Jeep parked in the same dusty site along Highway 20. It was a white Jeep Cherokee with Wyoming license plates. The license plate had a prefix, 10, which represents Fremont County. I have a lot of friends in that low-population county, and they are exactly the outdoorsy types that would travel to the desert in the spring after a long winter in the mountains. So I figured anyone from there parked in that spot at that time of the year would probably be my friend, or at least an acquaintance. And the Jeep was still there when I drove away early the next morning. Text added, the same day. This essay was posted at 12.34 p.m., and this just screams at me to pay attention. While this number might not seem like much, it's the kind of synchronistic clue that makes this stuff really hard for me to deny. This is Mike, and I need to interrupt this story. For free listeners, we will be taking a short break, and you'll hear some commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on the unseen, and we will be continuing with an audio reading from my book, Hidden Experience. Before the break, we were in the middle of the chapter titled The Confirmation Event, and now we will continue where we left off just moments ago. Line on a map across southern Utah. Tuesday, March 12th, 2013, 10.55 p.m. I'm sort of freaked out. I just created this map. I did it in a sort of crazed intuitive flurry. And before I even started, I absolutely knew what would appear. The yellow line on the map connects three deeply personal sites in southern Utah. This map is totally entangled with the post I wrote this morning. Let me describe the map for you. It shows southern Utah and Colorado, and there is a straight yellow line running east to west. Along that line are three pushpins. The westernmost pin is green, the easternmost pin is blue, the pin in the middle is red. The green pin marks the location of the round structure seen from my sleeping bag two nights ago. The red pin marks the site where Natasha and I had slept along the Burr Trail Road. 
That night, she took a walk by starlight while I stayed in the sleeping bag. She saw a bright white orb while I was listening to the hooting of a great horned owl. The blue pin in the east is pretty much the most profound abduction type experience I've ever consciously experienced. Natasha and I both had an irrational sense of fear in a tent near Dolores, Colorado. That same night, I felt as if I was floating out of the roof of the tent and entering into a white realm. And the next day, I had a long scratch across my chest. These three locations are each positioned exactly along a 231-mile-long straight line. The message to me is that something happened on Sunday night under the stars. Needless to say, this is some freaky shit. The blog includes a close-up image of the camping site where I was sleeping listening to the Great Horned Owl along the Burr Trail Road. This happened on March 10, 2011. There's a red pin on this satellite image that marks exactly where I had slept the night I heard the Great Horned Owl, and it was just a few hundred yards away where Natasha saw the bright orb. The yellow line cuts through where my sleeping pad would have been lying in the sand, seemingly to the millimeter. I need to describe the weird impulse to create this map. About an hour ago, I experienced a very clear knowing that these locations would line up perfectly. It didn't come in a verbal set of instructions. Instead, I was just suddenly aware of the full image and how it looked and how it all fit together. It happened in one instant of absolute knowing. I was standing near my desk when this happened, so I just sat at the computer, opened Google Maps, and did it. At first, I was a little bit off. I was using my sleeping location from two nights ago as the westernmost point of the yellow line. The location of the orb and owl event in the middle was about 200 feet off from perfect. Then I moved the westernmost point about 1.6 miles to the south. This is the site of the circular structure on the hilltop, and when I did this, everything lined up with an eerie perfection. I am reliving the same weird sense of profound knowing from 2010. This also involved putting lines on a map, and it culminated in a series of posts about a giant triangle pointing to Byron, North Dakota. This sense of absolute knowing can only be called a very clear psychic download. Text added, March 15th, 2013. Last night, I received a note from Natasha. She told me March 10th is her birthday. This is the date of the Sunday night event when I was sleeping outside in Utah. She was with me and experienced both the middle and eastern events on the map. These were both by far scarier experiences than what happened last Sunday. And on March 10th, 2010, I posted the very first essay about a giant triangle on a map. This dealt with the map weirdness that connected Mac Tonys, Byron, North Dakota, and Owls. This was exactly three years to the day before I laid down under the stars in Utah last Sunday night. Text added, March 10th, 2019. I'm adding a little bit more during the final editing. I have read and reread these posts over the years and I need to clarify the actual timeline of events. Also, it was only as I typed the date above that I noticed 
the March 10th coincidence. Sunday, March 10th, 2013. At about 9 p.m., I pulled into the turnout to sleep under the stars in southern Utah. This was when I saw the round structure on the hill. Monday, March 11th, 2013. The first part of the day was spent driving north from Utah to my home in Idaho. After arriving home, the first thing I did was to get onto my computer and try to find any satellite imagery of the round structure. I also did a Photoshop illustration of what I saw from my sleeping bag. I was totally obsessed, and this frenzied mood defined the next few days. Tuesday, March 12th, 2013. At 12.34 in the afternoon, I added the story on my blog with illustrations. At about 3 p.m., I spoke with the Utah State Director from MUFON and asked if there had been any reports from two nights earlier. He said no, but added that there had been a lot of sighting reports in that area. Shortly after hanging up, I was standing by my desk and was hit with a psychic vision of the line on the map. I stayed up late that night connecting lines and trying to make sense of this second part of the story, and I posted a follow-up report at 10.55 p.m. I now know. Friday, March 22nd, 2013. Anyone who's followed my stuff, whether written or spoken, will know that I can drone on and on about the existential angst of not knowing. This has been a sort of mantra, an endless tape loop where I repeat that I am not sure if I am truly an alien abductee. I feel like I've been in a place of actually knowing for a while now, maybe years, but my incessant maybe had become a habit, or more a role that I was playing. Well, this last event, March 10th, changed all that. It wasn't the night under the stars. It was the follow-up weirdness with the map. The precision of that yellow line and how it exactly connected three very telling events, including one with a hooting owl, was just too revealing. It simply screamed at me, This shit is real! I am now unable to cling to that former identity of not knowing. I now know. I am directly intertwined with the UFO reality. I hate the term abductee and all its baggage. That title is way too simplistic, but it's probably the best term to define what's been going on in my life. That said, I am convinced that at the source of this mystery, there is something far more complex and far more bizarre than we dare imagine. The inadequate words, abductee, experiencer, and contactee, all seem flat in the face of this elaborate puzzle. But the knowing remains. Peace. Mike Cleland. March 22nd, 2013. This was an important post, and it generated a lot of comments. Here's an excerpt from one of them. Anya Briggs said, Oh, Jesus God, thank you for finally admitting this. 
I am literally breathing a sigh of relief as I read this. Now you can finally heal. The only way you reach any conclusion about trauma is first admitting that it actually happened. This is a great opportunity to get creative and have ownership of your now not-so-hidden experience. Blessings, Anya, March twenty-second, two 2013 One year ago today, Monday, March tenth, two 2014 It was exactly one year ago today that I set my sleeping pad down in the dirt in a muddy turnoff along Highway 20 in southern Utah. I climbed into my thick winter sleeping bag and slept under the glorious stars on that clear desert night. The events of that night changed my life. I now refer to this, quite accurately, as my confirmation event. Also, just a few weeks ago, I drove past this site on the way to the annual UFO conference in Arizona. I pulled off of I-15 and returned to the exact same spot along Highway 20. I was confirming what I already knew. There was no round structure on the top of that hill. During my drive home from the conference, I retraced my route exactly as I had done the year before. I slept in the same turnoff where I had seen the round structure on the hill. I laid my sleeping pad down on the exact same spot on the ground. Nothing happened, except for a deep sense of contentment at seeing the stars above me. Hemisync Vision Thursday, July twenty-third, two 2015 I will very occasionally meditate, and sometimes I'll listen to a guided meditation on my iPod. I like a series of audio tracks from Robert Monroe, the author of Journeys Out of the Body, 1971. This is a first-person account of out-of-body travel. He started a research facility, the Monroe Institute, with the mission of exploring human consciousness. He also pioneered a meditation technique using recorded audio called hemispheric synchronization. The process requires headphones with a slightly different tone for each ear. To the listener, this sounds like nothing more than a calm humming. Monroe felt that this system synchronizes the two hemispheres of the brain in a way that helps beginners more quickly achieve a meditative state. It is said that these same sounds have the potential to evoke an altered state of consciousness. I was alone in my living room in the fall of 2014. I was sitting on my little homemade meditation stool. My eyes were closed as I listened to Robert Monroe's steady voice describe some simple focusing techniques, while the low hum of the hemisync audio played in the background. I was calm and following his narration. And at some point, he said this. Here is a simple way to remember any part of your life experience. Close your physical eyes and touch the fingers of your right hand gently to the center of your forehead. When you do this, you will recall and remember immediately that which you consciously desire to remember. Everything was so peaceful that I didn't really think much about what he was saying. 
so there were no expectations when I touched my forehead. At the instant my fingertips made contact, I saw myself lying on the ground surrounded by five or six spindly gray aliens. This image was only in my mind's eye for a single second, but it was unmistakably vivid. I knew what I was seeing. It was a single snapshot from the night of March 10, 2013. I wasn't at all surprised to see this. It seemed as if I had been offered a gentle clue from some higher part of myself. The beings in the vision appeared to be dressed in something tight-fitting and white and they were taller than what would be the typical gray aliens. I was motionless in my sleeping bag at their feet. This scene in the Utah desert was presented without any fear or anxiety, as if to reassure me. Curiously, these Robert Monroe audiophiles were sent to me from a friend with a dramatic account of seeing both an owl and a UFO while out in the desert at night. His name is Derek, and his story is featured on page 18 in The Messengers. This momentary vision was clear. It was me, on the ground, surrounded by aliens. I recognize how seductive it would be to surrender to that image and to see it as literal truth. Maybe it's exactly what happened. Or maybe it's one more in a long chain of symbolic clues. Text added, July 24th, 2015. Honestly, I have no idea how much to trust this image. Is it real, or is it unreal? I am dealing with all kinds of pressure, and it's all my own, and it's all self-imposed. The pressure is to dismiss this imagery as confabulation. And, at the same time, I'm feeling another pressure to say it really happened, really, truly, literally happened. I am holding both these thoughts in my head, without truly knowing which one might be real. The 37th Parallel and the Mainstream Wednesday, December 28, 2016 Mainstream author Ben Mesrick published The 37th Parallel, the Secret Truth Behind America's UFO Highway. This 2016 book follows Colorado investigator Chuck Zukowski through his research on UFOs and cattle mutilation. Chuck discovered a long list of bizarre incidences and sightings clustered along the 37th line of latitude, what he terms the UFO Highway. The cover of the book shows a map of the United States with a stripe of dots running east and west. My first thought was that my confirmation event seemed to line up with those dots. I checked, and of my three events, two are on the 37th parallel, and the third is just tipping up into the 38th. The location of my March 10th event happened 2.2 miles north of the 37th parallel. I sent this information and the latitude and longitude of each of the three events to Chuck, and he replied, Thank you, Mike. Really, the 37th is the center line of the highway, with the 36th being the right lane and the 38th being the left lane. What you just shared is pretty interesting. I own the book, but I haven't read it yet, so I can't really speak to Chuck's ideas. 
but I have certainly had very strange experiences on or very near that line. The book by Mesrick has received mixed reviews within the UFO community. People have said it reads like an introduction to the subject. But what's intriguing is that it seems to be selling very well, with a strong publicity push from the publisher. Several of his other books were turned into major movies, and there are rumors that this book is being fast-tracked to Hollywood. I need to share some final thoughts on the whole confirmation event. The unseen coyote from my night alone in the desert was so loud and so close that I cannot understand why I didn't see it. I can say the same thing about the unseen owl the night Natasha saw the floating orb. I've since wondered if the sounds I heard those nights, the yapping coyote and the hooting owl, could have been some orchestrated screen experience. Their calls were incessant and vividly real, more real than real, and both times I was euphoric to hear something so wild and so perfect. And right in the moment I was perfectly aware that I was listening to something mythical. These were totem animals, screaming for my attention, calling to the stars to make themselves known. The owl and coyote are archetypes. They are symbols, and both of them quite literally woke me up. I have spent years trying to untangle the meaning of these experiences. On those nights, reality itself was acting as a metaphor, and it must have happened for some reason. I was presented with three points on a map seen in a psychic vision, and each event was punctuated by a mythic symbol. A coyote, an owl, and a ceremony of death and rebirth in a Navajo sweat lodge. This is Mike, and now comes the point where we will need to take a short break. For free listeners, you'll be hearing some commercials. For paying members, we will be right back. We are back on the unseen, and we will be continuing with an audio reading from my book, Hidden Experience. This next chapter is my attempt to make some sense out of a hypnosis session that was meant to explore the night of March 10th, 2013, and that was detailed in the previous chapter, the one you just listened to. Now, I'm going to front-load this by saying there are a lot of very good reasons. Now, I'm going to front-load this by saying there are a lot of very good reasons to be cautious of hypnosis as a tool investigating these contact experiences. Yet, for me, an amazing story emerged through hypnosis and I have tried very hard not to get swallowed up in my belief. I honestly don't know what to believe, and I'm doing my best to remain neutral to the implications of this story. I say as much in this upcoming chapter, but I feel I really need to repeat it here. Okay, now, just so you know, this was a very difficult chapter for me to record. Here goes. Chapter 18. Hypnosis and the Trial Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life, and you will call it fate. Carl Gustav
Gustav Jung. The Challenge of Hypnosis Thursday, January 31st, 2019 Hypnosis is a source of bitter contention within the UFO community. One faction would see it as vital in abduction research, while the other would dismiss anything gained through hypnosis as useless, or even destructive. In early November of 2017, I was invited to a home in New Hampshire where a small group of experiencers were planning to gather for a potluck on a Saturday evening. Seven of the people expected to attend had let me share their stories in my books, so I was very eager to make the long drive and join them. Abduction researcher Mary Rodwell was planning on being part of the gathering, and I had emailed her ahead of time to arrange a hypnosis session while I was there. We scheduled it for Sunday morning, so I brought a sleeping bag and pad and spent Saturday night in a room used as an office. I awoke at dawn to the hooting of a barred owl out the window. That morning, Mary and I spent almost two hours in an empty bedroom. She hypnotized me in hopes of finding the source of my fears in connection with my UFO experiences, and the story that emerged really shook me up. I cried a lot during that session, and Mary sat close by and dried my tears with Kleenex, or a bunch of Kleenex, really. What came through was jumbled and emotional, and I didn't know what to make of it. The story itself was remarkable and much of it matched what I had already read in abduction accounts. I shared the details with a few friends, but I was very cautious to treat this memory as a real event. I had attempted hypnosis several times with various researchers before that Sunday morning with Mary in New Hampshire. I had tried with Barbara Lamb, Leo Sprinkle, and Bud Hopkins. I consider all of them very skilled hypnotherapists and extremely caring, yet very little emerged in those earlier attempts. They all took place during a time when these issues were terribly oppressive, and I think I was just way too anxious to allow myself to fully go under. Now, that said, I did have an extremely successful experience with hypnosis in the summer of 2014. I was working with Lorraine Flaherty, a past-life hypnotherapist, and my goal was to deal with my issues of clinical depression. Unlike my previous attempts, I am certain I was fully under, and the results were miraculous. Though not our focus, we did touch on some UFO experiences, and what came out was so poetic that all I could do was treat it as some sort of grand metaphor. That account is told earlier in this book in a post titled Thoughts on a Past Life Hypnosis Session. I also did a session with Diane Morrison, using the hypnosis techniques developed by Dolores Cannon. That experience was quite therapeutic, but we hardly touched on any UFO issues. I was in Los Angeles in 2018 and was staying with my friend Greg Bishop. He's a UFO researcher and author and hosts a weekly radio interview show. I was in his living room when I told him that I had an appointment the next day to do a hypnosis session with abduction researcher Yvonne Smith. He looked at me sternly and said, Well, if you do that, you know what you're going to find. I replied, I get what you mean, but I really want to go to as many hypnotherapists as I can. I want to see what comes up. 
to try to figure out if their outlook is influencing anything. Greg immediately lit up, smiled, and said, Well, I can get behind that. I explained that Mac Tonys and I had talked about this several times. It would be sort of like an old Vincent Price movie, where he plays the mad scientist who tests his potions on himself. The next day I drove to Pasadena, and arrived at Yvonne's office about a half an hour early. There was a park right next door, and I spent that time lying on the grass in the warmth of the sun. I spoke aloud, declaring that I was open and receptive to whatever would help me better understand these experiences. I was ready to move forward, and I said so. When I sent the initial email to Yvonne to make an appointment, she replied, So nice to hear from you. I am currently reading your book about synchronicity and owls. I think that counts as a synchronicity about owls and UFOs. I did an audio interview with Yvonne back in 2012, and she is soft-spoken in a way that is almost disarming. And she talks about her research into the UFO contact experience with a kind of calmness that does not match the crazy intensity of the subject. In both the 2017 session with Mary and the 2018 session with Yvonne, I wanted to explore the events of March 10th, 2013, and these are the events with the round structure up on the hill in southern Utah. I wanted to look into that night because there had never been any fear associated with this experience. The session with Mary played out as a bit disjointed, and a cleaner narrative emerged with Yvonne, yet the story was essentially the same. I don't think the differences had anything to do with the techniques of the therapists, but more that I felt a little nervous going into the session with Mary, and we tried to cover a number of other events. While during my session with Yvonne, we focused on just that one night. When I was under the hypnotic trance with Yvonne, the story began in a nearly identical way, and it felt like I was watching a rerun of Mary's session. I tried to avoid going down the exact same path, but it didn't seem like I had any control. The same story emerged. I am posting segments of the transcript with Yvonne, simply because it's a little easier to follow. At a few points in the text, I've noted the time count on the audio file, and I did this because I try to pay attention to certain synchronistic numbers. For this audio recording, I tried to capture the pacing, tone, and the very strong emotions of my time under hypnosis. I carefully listened to the audio recording from that session, and I did my best to reenact the distress in my voice. I feel I should also add that what you were about to listen to was terribly difficult to record. After the induction, Yvonne asked me about the night of March 10, 2013. This was when I saw the round structure on a hilltop in southern Utah while sleeping outside. What follows is a near-complete transcript of the hypnosis session with Yvonne. She begins by asking me a question. Just describe anything that comes forward. I'm in my sleeping bag, and it's calm, and I can roll over and look up at the stars. Off to my left is the hillside, and there is a structure that looks like a flying saucer, or a house, 
It's got a ring of lights around the outside. It seems more like a section out of a cylinder. If I do look at the object, all I need to do is turn my head. It's not hidden, and I have no sense of fear at all. And it certainly looks like a landed craft. There is no sense of concern or worry, more just curiosity at how this ended up there. These descriptions of the round structure matched my conscious memories. I then began to describe waking up and seeing an odd light behind a big bush at the foot of my sleeping bag. There's a glow behind the bush. I know it's them. I know it's them. I know that it's them. But I'm just dismissing it as though it's just a light. Try not to question yourself. Try not to analyze. Get in touch with that feeling and emotion that it's them, and just describe what you are sensing or seeing or hearing. I'm sensing this knowing that it's them, and I need to lie down again. And were you lying down? No, I was sort of sitting up in my sleeping bag, and then I laid back down. I feel like I just snapped back to sleep or something. I'm out. I'm out. I'm looking down at this thing. It's big, and I'm looking down at it. It seems just black, and I guess there are little lights around it. And I'm floating. And I'm above it. And I'm... I don't think I'm in my body. This is some other thing. I was looking down at an enormous round structure setting on the hilltop. It seemed to be the same round structure I saw from my sleeping bag, but now I was hovering above it. This was all seen in my mind's eye in quick images. Do you feel you are out of body? I think I'm still lying in the sleeping bag but some part of me is looking down at this thing. Do you get a sense of anyone around you? I'm not alone. It just feels like this again. Like, oh God, this again. Just describe everything. I'm walking in a hallway. Can you describe the hallway? The floor is flat, but the walls are curved. I don't know how I got in there. It's just like all of a sudden I'm walking there. I'm not alone. They are on either side. On one side or the other. There is either one or two on one side or one or two on the other. They aren't in front of me and they aren't behind me. They are on the side of me. Can you describe them? They're bald and skinny and big eyes, and I feel like I'm not tall anymore. Do they feel familiar to you? Yes, but it's... Oh, it's mysterious at the same time. It feels like so normal. 
Can I go deeper? Can you do something, please? I need to be deeper. Take a deep breath. Allow yourself to drift down deeper. Yvonne spent the next few minutes going through a slow verbal process to deepen the hypnotic state. She spoke slowly and described walking down a staircase to a lower level. Then she continued asking me questions. Do you still feel yourself going down the hallway? Yeah. I'm not me. I'm one of them. And I feel like I'm a little bit mixed up, but it feels completely normal. It feels like they had a rubber suit waiting for me, like on a hook or a coat hanger, and I just ended up in it. And now I'm walking down this hall as something else. And I'm the same height as the things right and left of me. It seems I'm maybe five foot tall or something, but I'm definitely not as tall as I am normally. I'm shorter. I was seeing brief images of the curved hallway. It wasn't like watching a movie. It was happening in a series of flashes. I didn't say this aloud during the session, but I looked down at my hands, and I had long fingers. I was skinny and had on a tight-fitting uniform. I was just like the beings on each side of me. Describe everything all around you. What is happening? It feels important. And what do you feel is important? Whatever the reason is that I'm here. Is there communication with them? It feels like it. I end up in this room. And there are other beings there. And I feel like they are sitting. And it feels like a courtroom or a conference room and they are all staring at me. Can you describe the conference room? Very plain. It seems like what I'm seeing is a conference room like you would have in a hotel. It's not much. It's very plain. There is nothing on the walls. There is a simple table, and it seems like they are sitting at this table on one side. It feels like I'm alone on the other side of the room and they are all looking at me. There might be one or two on my side of the room, the ones that walked me down the hall, but I'm not sure. And what do they look like, the ones around the table? It's foggy. They are all bald, and they are not moving. They are sitting very still. It feels like a trial, or like a meeting, and they are all looking at me. I don't think I'm at a podium, but it feels like that kind of thing. Can you describe what is being communicated? That now is the time. And I agreed to this. And I'm here because now is the time. I'm confused. I can't remember all the... <gasps> Oh, God, I I don't remember. I don't know. I don't know why they are saying it. You will be able to remember all the details very easily. 
do they describe what they mean when they say, Now is the time? <sighs> Why does it have to be so hard? They didn't tell me it would be this hard to be here. They, I, I'm like fighting. I didn't know it would be so hard to be here. And where is here? My life on earth. I didn't... Do you ask them why? They just say, I agreed to it. But they don't understand what it is to be here. And how... And how they don't know. And I do. And they don't know how hard it is. And I do. And they can't. They're blank about it. They're... What else do they communicate to you? It's time. It's now. It's like, like, like everything leading up to this is, it's now. And what is going to happen with now? Everything is going to change. Do they describe how? Like the job I came here to do is starting. I had no idea. It's so hard, and they don't understand. <laughs> At this point, I began crying, and Yvonne tried to console me. I sobbed uncontrollably for the next few minutes. I speak again at the audio time count of 1 hour, 11 minutes, and 11 seconds. And that's 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. At this point, I am talking and sobbing at the same time. What is it that is so emotional, Mike? Just get in touch with those feelings. Tell me what is happening. What are you feeling? Being here is so hard. Everything about it is so hard. I spent so many years being so sad in this pain. It's like pain just to be here, and they don't. They just said hi. Mike, do they tell you what you are supposed to do now, that the time is now? I come forward with what's happened to me. I talk about it. I'm supposed to play some role, and it's so fucked up. It's like they don't even know what it's like to feel sad, and they don't know what it's like to feel. Do you try to explain that to them? I try, and they don't. They just say, I agreed to it. They just said, you knew, you agreed. So they want you to talk about your experiences. They want me to play some role, like I have some duty. They just say it, and they don't know what it means, how f***ed up it is what they are asking. They don't know what they're asking. They don't understand what it means to be here and to have to deal with sadness and fears and the loneliness. They just don't understand that part. They just say it. They just say it's time, that I agree to it, and they're very... It, it's not like they're stern. It's like they're matter-of-fact. Like it's some business deal. It's... it's not, they're just like... It's you. It's you. It's now. You agreed to this, and now it's happening. 
right now. At this point, the sobbing abruptly stops. It lasted only three minutes, but it seemed like much longer. In that moment, it felt like I had deflated. I palpably changed from extremely tense and very emotional to perfectly calm. It felt like I sank down into the couch and stopped breathing. I was silent for a long time. Do they describe what they want you to do in detail? I think I'm back in the sleeping bag. I don't think they describe it. If they do, I don't... I don't think I can say it. I don't think I'm allowed to say it. You can say it, Mike. You can verbalize it. No, I don't think I can say what they want. I don't know what they want me to do. I know that I wrote a book after. I know that I started talking after. I know I did all that stuff, but I think there's more, and I don't know what it is. They are just telling you that the time is now? The impression I have is that I agreed to this in some other realm. I ended up here on Earth, and I had this life. And I've done a lot of things, and that's over. And there is this new thing that started right then, and and they were stern about it, and they were clear about it, and I didn't have a choice. I was told there was a contract, there was an agreement, or like a plan, or like a mission. Whatever I had agreed to, it's now. I I don't see their faces, and the room is just some stupid room in a hotel, and I don't... Is the room full? No, it doesn't seem very full. No, it seems like there are two beings, one on each side. Maybe. It feels like they are at a table, all sitting, and I can't see their faces. And I don't know if I'm talking to one or all of them at the same time. It feels like I'm talking to all of them at the same time. It feels like the message is, your mission starts now. At this point, Yvonne changes the subject. Before the session started, I had asked her to bring up the subject of owls. I requested that she ask me about owls, and what they might mean. As they are communicating this to you, do you feel your connection with owls is part of what you are supposed to do, part of your mission? I don't think we talk about owls. What sense do you get about your connection with owls? I get that the owl is not important. The owl is like a symbol, or like a sign on a door. It's just a sign on a door, and what's behind the door is what's important. For a few moments, I mumble and stammer. I'm struggling to say something. I speak in fragments about being an artist and that I understand something. Then, I begin speaking very clearly. I understand how people take in a story. 
and how they need a symbol or a sign on the door. But the owl is meaningless to what is on the other side of the door. It's just the doorway that's important. The owl is the right symbol for the door. We are on this side, and everything else is on that side of the door. And there is a lot more. We are in this tight little hallway here, and on the other side of the door is this vastness. Are they communicating anything else to you? No. That's the only message I feel I got. It's time now, and I agreed to it, and it doesn't feel like I've got any say in it. And it feels like I'm angry that I would have to be here, and they don't understand. Do they tell you, or do they communicate to you, that eventually it will become clear what else you need to do? I... I think it's implied somehow, but they don't say it. I feel like I never fit in here. I guess I did in a way, but I was battling so much emotional sadness. You mean your time on Earth? Yeah, it's not clean and easy. It's all mixed up. Like I'm part of here and part of there, and it's not simple. The emotions are all messed up. I don't think there's anything else I can get from this. It feels like there is some lock, and they hold the key, and they are not opening that lock for me. It feels like it'll happen sometime, maybe, before I die. It feels like I am waiting for an envelope to be delivered, and I will open the envelope and find the instructions. But I don't have that envelope yet. It feels like they are holding that envelope. Are you ready to leave this now? Yes, I gotta get out of here. It's too much. At this point, Yvonne began a formal process of ending the session. From Frantic to Normal Wednesday, June 19th, 2019 I described something unbelievable while sobbing on a hypnotherapist's couch. A story came out that I have a shared identity with an alien being, and that I had been put here on Earth to serve their agenda. That is some heavy stuff. After the session, I left Yvonne's office and found a little cafe in Pasadena to get a cup of coffee and a cookie. I thanked the girl behind the counter, sipped the coffee, and tried to figure out why I was acting so calm. I had just been confronted with something terribly distressing, and it would have been totally appropriate to freak out. But I wasn't. I had spent the previous decade trying to cope with memories and fears, and I endured a torrent of weirdness in those years. It took a lot of work to deal with every challenge and keep moving forward. There had been a long string of synchronicities, dreams, UFO experiences, and emerging memories. Some were subtle, some were funny, a lot were unsettling, and a few nearly broke me. There were times, especially in the beginning, where it felt like I was drowning. 
I now see each event as having been staged for me, a sort of incremental progression in one direction. Whatever happened, it seems to have been a kind of organized strategy, a master plan. I would confront some weird experience, write about it in the blog, then another thing would happen and I would write about that too. It feels like the order and intensity of these events had been precisely arranged to transform me into the person I am now. It wasn't like I was getting stronger. It was more like some old me was crumbling and a newer me was emerging. Whoever set this plan in action did it for a reason. Maybe it was little gray beings on a flying saucer, or maybe it was some higher part of myself. I truly don't know. Yet, either option is fascinating. When I saw those owls in the mountains back in 2006, the strangeness was nearly unbearable. I was desperate to find some meaning behind it and started my obsessive owl research. A lot has happened since then, and what began as frantic madness now feels normal. I got in my rental car and drove across the busy L.A. freeways. I played the music loud, drank my coffee, and ate my cookie. This is Mike, and I'm coming in here at the end to share just a little bit more. I need to I need to do a little summation of this episode. That hypnosis session, what you just listened to, was a big deal for me. And you can hear me wrestling with my own doubts on whether or not that whole thing could possibly be true. So I don't feel like I need to repeat any more of that here, but I want to point out that when I said, the owl isn't important. That came as a big surprise to me, and all that stuff about the owl being a sign on the door, that was really powerful. I clearly remember speaking those words, but I do not know where they were coming from. When I listened to the recorded audio from the actual session, those words in my statements play out as something a lot wiser than I feel I could have said myself. I'm not sure of the source of my poetic statements, but it seems to have emerged from some higher place within myself, and this is a place I don't feel like I have much access to, at least not in any way I understand. I wish I did. I would also like to add that Yvonne Smith has offered to be my guest on an upcoming episode of The Unseen, and my hope is to explore and hopefully gain some insights on this session from August of 2018. And, for anyone interested, the audiobook should be available very soon. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs>